Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. Check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. I know that's a mouthful and a keyboard full on Facebook. Joining me in person, Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. <laughs> and as I guess you could say, as usual, we'll just make fun of him now. Yeah. Uh, not joining us is John Ross, who apparently is... In Denver, blowing up an airport bathroom. I was wondering uh, if you were going to actually say what he was doing. Which may or may not be a TSA violation. I don't know. I don't know if we can actually use those words in a sentence and not get in trouble these days, right? Well, he said that there was a pizza consumed at 3 a.m. Yeah. Mistakes were made. Good (laughs) grief, man. I told I wrote him back and said, if if I consumed a pizza at 3 a.m., they'd have to shut down the whole airport. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in which I was using the bathroom. but Right, anyway. right. Um, so, uh, church this week. Uh, Romans 8. I thought it was a great it, day. It, Romans 8 is my favorite portion of Scripture. So when, when you said, hey, turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, I kind of, nobody can see what I'm doing, but I just got all excited. <laughs> got all excited. I think it was uh, Josh Baldwin was like, don't get too excited. <laughs> Did he really <laughs> say that? Yeah. <laughs> so, um yeah, it was Romans 8. Uh, what was the first verse? It was through verse 30, correct? Yeah, I started at 26, 26 which I'd really, yeah. I'd really, we'd really gone through that. 26 through 26, 27, 28, we had, we'd really talked about the week before, but I just kind of right. picked those up and went through verse 30. You uh, could spend a couple months in those verses, really. I still don't feel like I've covered it all. Right. I mean, I, I, right. We've been in 8 for... We've been in eight since the end of March. Right. Because there's so much there. There's just so much there. And I still don't feel like we're, you know, we're still not done. I mean, we've got, you know, several more verses to go, but there's just so much, so much content there. If you look at Desiring God and see how long Piper spent in chapter eight. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, he does three weeks on, I think, just verse 28. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's typical, typical Typical reform world. Yep. Right. Where I mean, I think how long did Martin Lloyd Jones spend in Romans? It was, that's a good question. I don't know. Oh man. It was, it was insane how much time he spent there, but your, your two main points is the foundation of the Christian life is understanding how God saved you and how (laughs) God keeps you saved. Right. Well, what I said was, I think that discipleship in general or, or go, growing yeah. and maturing in our relationship with Christ is fundamentally about growing in our understanding about how it is that God saves us and how it is that he keeps us saved. Because yes. I think there are a lot of Christians um, that overemphasize circumstantial realities, mm-hmm. um, life skill development, um, you know, emotionally healthy, physically healthy living as the end all be all when it comes to growth in our spiritual life. Effectively a self-help. Exactly. And it's a, it, certainly those things could be symptoms or byproducts of Mm -hmm. growing and maturing spiritually. But I think if, if all of your relationships are constantly imploding, like there's there's something wrong, probably a problem, something wrong. But, you know, I, I don't want our church to think that discipleship 
or getting involved in discipleship means, well, I take a class to learn how to manage my money better. And there's a few Bible verses thrown in. Right. Or the same with marriage or parenting or certainly those things are important. And um, growing in Christ is going to have implications in those arenas of our lives. But if we grow in our understanding of how it is God saves us and how it is that he keeps us saved, Mm -hmm. then what I said was our affection for God is going to grow. And when our affection for God grows, we grow in holiness. I I think sanctification is fundamentally about growing in affection for God. It's not just about willpower discipline. Right. And then as we grow in our love and affection for God, and as we grow in holiness, so too will our passion for the mission of, of his kingdom grow. Um, it, it, once you, and, and, and I think it's not, you know, I don't know. People like Piper and, and, and Sproul might push back on my statement yesterday. Cause the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought there, there might need to be some qualifications there because uh, you know, I, I found that the more I understand how God saves me, how it is that he saves me and how it is that he keeps me saved. The more I learn about who he is, the more I learn about his character, the more I love, learn about his nature, about, you know, his wisdom and his glory and his beauty. And, and through that, the end goal is I become more enthralled in awe and in love with him. Sure. Like he's the point, right? It's, it's not, it's not just what God does for me. The point is him, God himself and my affection for him. And so I think the more we come to understand as Christians, how it is God saves us, how it is he keeps us saved, the more enthralled we become with him, the more enthralled we become with him, the more we grow, the more we mature, the more we are sanctified, the more we, you know, are passionate about the mission. Everything else flows from that. Right. Point. Right. And obviously within that chunk of verses, you have to deal with things like the word predestined, you know, right. the, the basically, it's basically a four letter word in a lot of Christianity, exactly. um, where people don't, they want to be responsible for their salvation, mm-hmm. uh, which really, if you think about it, you really don't want to, no, you don't, you do not. <laughs> um, as, as John MacArthur has said many times, mm-hmm. if you could lose your salvation, you, you would. would. Um, and we've, we've said that over and over on this podcast. Um, so what was, you know, in, in the Bible belt, we like, we like our autonomy, mm-hmm. um, whether, whether it's, uh, regarding politics, you know, we mm-hmm. typically have a conservative streak. We want less government involved. Um, we also have a, uh, a, a big history of, uh, Methodism yep. in, in the South. Yep. Um, you know, a little bit of Anglicanism here and there, but, you know, a lot of Methodism going back to the colonies mm-hmm. and then a lot of Southern Baptist traditionalism, as they like to call themselves. Yep. Uh, so the theological environment typically isn't geared toward a more reformed understanding of the order of salvation. Yep. So what was your thought process in in how to introduce some of those concepts to, because I'm sure that there were a couple people who, you know, it's nothing, it's not a slam on them, but they've never really addressed it, addressed those concepts, yeah. you know? Uh, so I'm sure there are a couple people who probably got a little irritated by that sermon. I think there were some people that I didn't, 
find i mean now that doesn't mean that there aren't some that were irritated or sure and when we got back up on stage to play that last song it didn't i didn't see anybody who just looked irritated no i I I think there were some though that were like i don't what's the word um pondering you know yeah going you know i'm not sure how to like they're trying to digest it because i i don't know if you feel this way but I feel like there are so many Christians, particularly in our context, that just simply have not thought through this. Oh, yeah. They've not thought through that, you know, in 29 and 30, Paul says, we, we've been foreknown by God, predestined by God, called by God, justified by God, and glorified by God. Those are massive words. I mean, oh, yeah. massive, massive words. And... I just find that a lot of Christians have not thought through them. There, there are a lot of Christians that live with just this, Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. Yep. And I, I, it's not that they don't have genuine affection for the Lord, um, that they're not even serving and giving their lives away and endeavoring to, you know, exhibit the character of Christ in their lives in all, all manner of ways. It's just that they have not thought through this. And I, you know, I said at the end of the message, you know, a child that hasn't even learned their multiplication tables can come to simple faith and trust in Christ and be born again. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think there is just a treasure trove of truth that increases our joy in God when we start to understand better how it is he saved us and how it is that he keeps us saved. And I know that there are doctrinal differences on those points, um, but I think Paul is so clear. I just don't know how mm-hmm. you end up anywhere else. You know, people ask me all the time if I'm a Calvinist, and I say, "No, I'm a Biblicist." <laughs> am I a Calvinist? Yes, I right. am. But I I read the Bible and I go, "This is what God has done." It's so mm-hmm. clear. Um, yeah, from from the outset of when you when you started in on. Uh, 29, uh, you kind of went directly after the typical Arminian reading of, well, God foreknew what would happen, therefore, but that you can't read the text that way. That's not what it says. It says he foreknew those. Those, that's right. It says he foreknew the people, Mm. and, and you you know, brought up examples from Isaiah and it's, and you didn't even get to, uh, no other people have I known when God was talking to Israel. Exactly. Uh, and there's all kind of other examples that you well, could have gone to. You know, when I preach, I try to, you know, I try to, I try to break things down <laughs> to the point that I feel like I could explain it to, you know, a child. Sure. And in some ways, I don't know that I got there Sunday, but I started thinking about, what does it mean for God to know something mm-hmm. like just, yep. you just zoom out and think about that. Even if, if you've never really, you know, studied any systematic theology or anything, what, what does it mean for God to know something? Does it mean he learned something? Right. Because if he learned something then that means there's knowledge and determination that exists outside of him. Right. 
And that's not possible. Which, if, which means that at some point he wasn't all knowing. Exactly. Ex- at some point he wasn't all knowing. And so I, I see a lot of Christians that you say, hey, do you believe God is, is, is omniscient? Do you believe he's all omnipotent? Yes. Amen. But they never really have thought through what that means. Mm-hmm. What are the implications of that? For God to know something has to mean, has to mean he's determined it. Right. Because if it's true, if it is truth to be known, it's got to be flowing from God, not yep. flowing to him. And therefore, you have to read those he foreknew as those he chose. Right. Those he determined. Um it, those he determined to predestine mm-hmm. to be conformed to the image of his son. That's verse 29. And so um, that, you know, I talked with a couple of people after church that were going, you know, I've never thought about that. I've, you know, I think a, there are a lot of people that have grown up in the Bible Belt, particularly in Southern Baptist traditions that believe that God looked down through the portals of time and learned who it is that by their own free will would choose him, choose to love him, choose to have faith in him. And from on that basis, he predestined them. And that's, that's a reactionary God yep. whose entire redemptive plan hinges on the free will of man. Right. Which, which has been corrupted, which has been corrupted. <laughs> it, it just doesn't even make sense. And um, so, yeah, I, I think you know, this part of Romans, I know, I knew it was coming and I, you know, at Resurrection Church, I have not, I haven't been like as direct about the sovereignty of God as it relates to salvation as I think we're about to get. Right. As we are getting nine, once we hit nine, you know, we're going to have to really, as a, as a body of believers that isn't rooted. Our church is not rooted in reformed theology. Right. Uh, but we're about to be, because we're going to get to this, you know, um, you know, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. <laughs> so, it's so kind of direct. It's kind of on the nose. It's just like, it's right there. And then, and then in the, you know, you've <clears> also got, who are you to answer back to God? Like you, you have no accusation that you can legitimately throw at God of that's not fair. Yeah. Like it's, it's right there in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just determined several years ago, um, that I, I was not going to base my theology on, you know, or, or form my theology by having to do a lot of hermeneutical leaps and bounds. Oh, sure. You know, to get there. And I, and I just, I just said, you know, let's, I'm just going to read the Bible and see what it says. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take it for what it says. And, and, and that those doing that, it unraveled my classical Pentecostal theology mm-hmm. and led me into a much deeper, richer understanding of what it means to be people who are in Christ and indwelt by the spirit. Mm hmm much deeper, richer theology than classical Pentecostal theology ever afforded me. And it led me into realizing that God is sovereign when it comes to, he's sovereign when it comes to everything, but he is, he is sovereignly active in saving me. Right. And that led into much, so much of a deeper, richer love and affection admiration 
and fear yeah. of God um, that that I didn't have before, and I and I'm I'm just grateful for that. When I when I first started to kind of come around to the doctrines of grace, as we mm. like to call them, Calvinism, yeah. Reformed soteriology, whatever you want to say. Uh, several years ago, I was having a discussion with a friend who had not gotten there, and and he said, "Here's the way I think about it. I think about it like a husband and a wife." And yeah, you could have chosen them, but you chose me. Mm-hmm. But he was doing that from God's perspective, saying, mm-hmm. you chose me. And that's all, like, I'm just floored by that. Mm-hmm. He got it backwards, though, mm-hmm. is out of all of these people, all of whom are just as jacked up, God chose me. Mm-hmm. And that is where the response should come from, mm-hmm. is you have to get that right. If you get that backwards, that's where you end up with a legalistic, moralistic mm-hmm pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of sanctification. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I, I would encourage people that I don't know how many of our listeners um, would hear us talk about this and go, man, I just can't get my mind around a God that chooses. I can't get my mind around a God that, you know, preordains some mm-hmm. to salvation. And uh, it, is just to really start right there is to, is to realize, look, think about your own salvation experience, how it is that you came to faith. And the more you ponder that, the more you're going to realize you had little to nothing to do with it. It's just right. God inter divinely interrupted your life and relish that savor that, um, and enjoy God you know, as, as the God who found you, saved you, start to read your Bible and just look at the, the ways in which God has just made it clear, you know, Mm -hmm. he is saving and he is finding people. He is choosing people and he is bringing people from death to life. Um, we can't, we can't have that language in our songs, in our, in our, in just our everyday conversations about faith and not realize what it means. Really. Right. You know, right. We, we have to, we have to embrace that. Um, and it's like I said uh, yesterday, you know, our church loves the song, loves the song who you say I am. Mm-hmm. That song is so reformed. It's just ridiculous. And probably by accident. It probably. That's, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. Cody. Is yeah. I don't know that people that even write these songs. I mean, I shouldn't say that because I don't know what their, what their theology is. But I, I wonder sometimes if we even realize what we're saying, what we're writing, what we're singing, you know, the, the, the bridge in that song, I am chosen. That's the first line. <laughs> I am chosen. And people lift their hands and relish that without really thinking through what that means mm-hmm. and, and thinking through what that means is going to carry with it some tension. There are going to be questions there are going to be pauses and there are going to be things that are uncomfortable that we have to wrestle through. But the end result is, is, is a much deeper and richer. And as I like to say in church all the time, gooder, <laughs> uh, relationship and experience with God. When you, when you really think through that, I'm chosen, I'm not forsaken. I am who you say I am, not who 
I say I am by my own free will determination to trust you. Mm-hmm. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. And that's because you said so. And that's that's beautiful. So next week is when we officially ratify the 1689 as our confessional document, right? There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, but you know, speaking of of music, you did you did have a pretty funny analogy uh, in the context of yesterday, where you said I don't remember what the analogy was, but regarding worship, but you, you said it's not just Cody playing some sweet licks or Patrick <laughs> over there killing all the drums or whatever. And I was like, did you hear me play the first song? <laughs> did you have me in your in ears? Because I, I butchered that song. I think I did hear some dingers. <laughs> um, like even the very first note is just like, man, I actually like this riff and I just, ugh, I just made a mess out of it. the formal topic uh, you could say of you know worshiping through or against preferences mm-hmm. where um, yesterday three of the four songs I just don't like mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. the first the first and we'll just leave titles and artists out of the discussion just to keep away from that distraction but the first song I enjoyed and uh, it's no secret that one of the songs is pretty hated by me (laughs) like we've all had this discussion um and a couple other people too um and then one of them i just i just don't love Mm -hmm. whatever uh doesn't really do anything for me in and of itself yep etc but at the same time when we played those songs stuff hit Mm -hmm. um and i'm not even talking about the congregation it's you know i see those people singing but there was worship involved yeah and it wasn't I don't like those songs Mm. and I'm playing songs I don't like. Uh, So how do we go from, I don't like this song or I like this song, therefore worship regardless of whether you like those. How do we get there? Well, you told me yesterday that this was going to be our topic. I started thinking about it. And I did. I did wait until after church. You did. You did. You did. I I think that was a good move, but I saw it coming. But I started thinking about that and I thought, you know, this is such a really good question. Um, Because I think I met with a lady yesterday after church. Mm -hmm. It was her first Sunday. Um, was she the lady in the back right corner? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I started talking with her and she has moved from another state. Um, and in that state, she had a church that she really, really loved. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it sounded like to me a big part of her love and affection for that church was the praise and worship experience that she had. Sure. <clears throat> and. I don't know if this is true of this lady, but a lot of times people get so enamored with the musicality and the emotion and the songs themselves, uh, because songs can be really, really moving. I mean, you know, we, my family and I, we went out to dinner last night and we riding home with the kids and introduced our children to the beach boys, uh, and, you know, (laughs) just laughing and singing and, and songs can be moving in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do we get beyond that? Because a lot of times we, I think we 
prejudge a church and the potential for us to have community there based on things as shallow as do we like the music? Mm-hmm. Do we like the songs that they're choosing? Do we um, do we like the style in which they're, you know, performing those songs? Um, I think it's possible to sing songs that you don't necessarily prefer mm-hmm. or to be in a church that has a style of worship that you don't necessarily prefer as long as you can root the worship experience and by that i mean the the lyrics and the truth that is being sung about right in your thinking not scripture. calling the service a, a quote-unquote experience like some people do that, mm. that's another episode <laughs> right so yesterday this uh, I would say there's at least two of the songs that we sung that I don't like sure. musically, mm-hmm. um, don't prefer. But because I'm able to, I know we said we'd avoid titles, but you know, let's um, why not? Let's just go there with one of them, um, "King of My Heart," which is the one that I just can't stand. You don't like that song? I don't really like it either. Right? It's too repetitive for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but it, there's nothing untrue about it. There's nothing untrue about it, but it's it's one of those songs that just stylistically we used to talk about say this back in the nineties, because in the nineties was when the quote unquote choruses were coming out. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what they called them was choruses, because we were used to singing hymns, and now we just got these songs that all they were is a chorus, and people used to call them seven eleven songs, the same seven words we sing them eleven times. Yeah. Um and King of My Heart feels that way to me because you've got this repetitive refrain, you are good, you are good, and then in the bridge, you're never going to let me down over right. and over and over and over and over again. But yet, I sung that song yesterday thinking about Romans 8. Right, right. Thinking about he is the king of my heart, and he is good. Um, and even though, as Paul talks about, we we the, our existence right now, our experience right now, he characterizes his present sufferings, mm-hmm. right? And that's because of the futility that creation's been subjected to. So that means that in this life, I'm going to experience pleasure and I'm going to experience pain. Yep. In this life, I'm going to experience happy things and I'm going to experience hard things. And in the happy and the hard and the pleasurable and the painful I know he's good. Which, solid alliteration, by the way. <laughs> solid, right? I, I, I mean, it's, somebody ought to say amen, right? right. Just, that's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so in that, God is good. I know he's good. I know he's good because of what Romans 8 tells me. I know that in my present sufferings, he's called me to be his child. He's put his spirit in me to help me pray in my weakness. He's preordained me to be conformed to the image of his son and that all things happy and hard, pleasurable and painful are serving that end in my life. So I can sing Mm -hmm. you are good. Right. And you're never going to let me down. (laughs) And so you take those simple words that are so repetitive and you, instead of just thinking about, do I like this song musically? Mm-hmm. Is it too repetitive? Does it fit my preferences? Does it come from a band or worship team or church that I like and agree with on everything? Or Which can, is another discussion in and of itself. Another discussion in and <laughs> of itself. And I'm not saying those aren't good discussions to have. But see, I go beyond all of that. And I think about Romans 8 as I'm singing this song. Mm-hmm. And that takes the song out of the context in which it was written, mm-hmm. takes it out of my preferences musically and otherwise, 
And it allows me to engage with God based on the truth of Scripture. And right. that's what I think every Christian, their goal should be when they come to worship, is mm-hmm. they don't just sing and lift your hands at the, the point in which the drums pulse to a climax. Actually think about, okay, where can I root my thinking about these lyrics in Scripture? And then, you know exult from there mm-hmm. right yeah. enjoy enjoy god <laughs> from that standpoint and the, the song then becomes a servant to that end rather than a catalyst necessarily to right that end. right and uh you know a couple of things that kind of helped me out is i at least have the perspective you know with king of my heart of one of my things of, about it is the verses are fantastic they are and it's and it's not that the chorus and bridge aren't true it's just I think there could be more there, mm-hmm. but there's at least something that I can latch onto is, yeah, that's true. And then that therefore leads to the chorus and the bridge. Yep. And then, uh, also shout out to, uh, Jonathan McCullough, one of our members here and one of my oldest best friends, like we've known each other since I, we were five, bless his heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's put up with me a long time, but he loves that song. Uh, and, and we've had conversations about that song. And, uh, and I caught his eye while we were playing and he kind of gave me a nod and a grin and I just had to chuckle a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you can, you can kind of make those personal connections <clears throat> with people in your congregation that you're leading in worship mm-hmm. is, you know, and obviously I've known Jonathan forever, but at the same time, he's letting me know, like, I appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it yesterday, and I, and, I, and I told him after the service, like, you, look, you got King of my heart. I got Romans eight. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good trade. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but even think about that, like how the two served each other. Right. Um, And and really how the text served all the songs, I think, because at the end of the service, um, I think I was leading in prayer and I just started, you you quoted every song that we did. Well, I just started to think about and the Psalm that we read as a, Call to worship. That's right. You put Psalm 121 mm-hmm. in at the beginning of the service. You know, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Um, and then, you know, we went into anchor, uh, anchor for my soul. You'll never change. We went from there into it as well. Uh, the winds and waves know your name. It is well with my soul. Uh, you know, there's a cry in that song, let go my soul and trust in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, King of my heart. And then we ended with God, I look to you, which is a very simple song that the chorus says, and I will love you all my days. Right. And I just started to th- think about how, man, you know, Romans eight twenty eight for those who love God, Mm-hmm. Are, all, and are called according to his purpose, all things work together right. for good. So to even anchor my thinking in the declaration, I will love you all my days. Mm-hmm. Well, why am I going to do that? How do I know mm-hmm. that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and still love you? I, I know that because you have predestined me mm-hmm. to the conformity to the image of your son. That is so powerful. And when you let scripture inform the songs you're singing, and you can root your thinking in scripture, it changes the game for worship. It really does. Like, oh yeah. Like I feel like we should do a teaching series on that because it, it just, it, it takes songs that in, in one sense have very simple lyrics and it roots them in the depth of the revelation of scripture. 
and 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 the worship experience just goes to a whole nother level. Yeah, and I I think it would also be helpful to talk about style, uh, whether traditional, modern, somewhere in between. Uh, I think specifically of of Sovereign Grace, mm-hmm. where man, their lyrics are awesome, but I can't get past their instrumental arrangements because they sound cheesy. Yeah. Um, some people may have an aversion to either a modern style or a traditional style. You got both these days where some people will outright say, I can't worship to that style, which just really hits me in a sore spot where all the different commandments to sing, it doesn't tell you which style to sing. And if you're with God's people, uh, enjoying, and this could even be an emphasis too, is enjoying the ordinary means of grace in a Sunday service. Yeah. Like God has said, he will show up there. He's going to work. Uh, I think it's Colossians three says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And how, how did you make that happen? Addressing one another with Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Mm. So there you go. Exclusive psalmody people. Your (laughs) arguments just shattered anyway, but, but you have Psalms, you have hymns, and then you have spiritual songs, which Mm. could encompass (laughs) basically everything. Yeah. As long as it's for the glory of God, in leading the congregation to worship. Yeah, I, I have problems with that too. And I, I've thought a lot about why, why, why is it that a style could derail worship? Right. Cause I've been in settings where maybe that's happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I do think, I do think we should keep culture in mind because, definitely. because if, if Kristen and I get up there and we start playing metal riffs, we're going to throw some people off. Right. <laughs> but can you worship to metal? Right. Exactly. I mean, it, like I'm asking the question. Oh, genuinely. yes. Yeah. So you can, so you can engage in worship to metal. And, and that's why I say in some respects, style is more about what we're used to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and therefore it's a preference kind of thing that I think we should be able to get beyond. I preached at a church in Jamaica one time where they took some songs that were fairly familiar to me and just did them in really bad reggae style. It was <laughs> awful. I don't think the bass player and the keyboard player were in the same key. I really don't. Like it was terrible, but yet the church was packed with people and they were worshiping um, you know, genuinely worshiping. Right. And, um, it, it was kind of a lesson for me. Um, and I've, I've had that experience before, but just that it, it, it's, it's, it's really, is the mind and heart focused on the, on the beauty and the glory of God? Um, and, and, you know, let the song help you do that. Even if it musically isn't that good, you mm-hmm. know, let, let the, let the lyrics and the truth, if, if, if it's, if it's true, what we're singing, let that focus your mind and heart on God. And yes, the emotional part of it might be, I don't know. Could we say better with a style that you prefer mm-hmm. with a style that you enjoy? So that's personal for you. Sure. But yet it's still don't devalue being with a group of believers worshiping, um, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Um, and e- even if the style or even the songs themselves don't fit your preferences. Yeah. I like the, uh, the international reference when, um, when Kristen and I exhibited at G3 a couple years ago, uh, we were setting up the day before 
which is the day that they have their Spanish speaking conference. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're setting up and they start singing a hymn. I mean, it was just piano, but it was Santo, 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 which is mm-hmm. Holy, Holy, Holy. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the melody was very familiar. Um, and, it just tore Kristen up. Like she, she teared up, you know, yeah. just, you know, those are your brothers and sisters too. Yeah. Uh, whether, whether it's international or it's traditional or it's modern, it's all singing to the same God. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a big deal. Huge deal. <laughs> Huge deal. Does God run out of patience? How do we bridge the gap between understanding and application of scripture? How do I deal with my kids who have left the faith? And does God forget our sin? Join the discussion on all these topics and more on the All 7 Days podcast, where Stan and Trevor take your questions and answer them from the perspective of a couple of church members just having a conversation about spiritual matters. Subscribe to the All 7 Days podcast today and visit all7days.com. Okay, Bradley. Inquisition stuff that we bumped from last week. <laughs> oh, Lord. Here we so, go. So from Zachary Saucier, thoughts on marijuana where the, uh, and I forgot to look it up again, the uh, the founder of triplexchurch.com uh, came out in favor of legalizing marijuana. So we're not going to, I don't think we should address the political aspect uh, let's Agreed. let's let's just go ahead and say it gets legalized. Mm-hmm. Um, what do Christians do regarding this plant we call cannabis? Well, I mean, so when we ask the question that way, we're asking: Is this morally acceptable for a Christian to smoke weed? Right? Is that? Is that I, I think so because I think I think if you if you go the medicinal route, I think that's an automatic yes. In, I agree. In that. Any derivative of marijuana used in a medicinal purpose is not going to be any more mind-altering than Oxycontin yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Where, I mean, when the last time I exploded my ankle, which could have been yesterday by the time this comes out, um, <laughs> you know, they, they put me on some pretty strong painkillers that yeah. knocked me out. Yeah. And there were a couple times I even woke up itching. Yeah. And like that traditional shoulder itch. Oh, that yeah. So many addicts go through. And uh, and that was kind of scary, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, marijuana and a medicinal purpose isn't going to do anything different. No, no. I, I, I think medicinally, um, you know, I, I would I would defer to medical professionals sure. on that yeah. and just say, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to look at a Christian and go, don't you dare take uh mm-hmm you know, cannabis of any sort, if the doctor prescribes it legally, right. Um, any more that I would do that with Oxycontin or, you know, those other kinds of drugs, drugs for anxiety and what have you. And certainly we all know we've got to be careful with that stuff because, you yeah. know, prescription meds are, I, I run into more people now that are, I, I run into people all the time. They're struggling with addiction. Sure. And, most of them, I would say seven to eight out of 10 are on pills. Yep. And, and it not heroin, not cocaine, not crack. Mm-hmm. You know, I took a guy home yesterday who had, uh, from church who had been high on meth for five days. Mm. Um, 
And but that honestly, that kind of stuff, at least for me, I know it's not rare, but right. I run into more people that are on pills. So medicinally, I would agree with you. Um, so the question is, do we as Christians, are we accepting recreational use of marijuana mm-hmm. morally and maybe in the same way that some would accept recreational use of alcohol uh, for a Christian. That was kind morally. of the correlation I came down to is uh, we were talking before we started recording is neither of us has smoked weed. No, we never smoked it. We don't intend to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of seems like the same, uh, same restrictions on drunkenness would apply here where if, if somebody's had a long day at work, they go home, have a beer and watch a ball game. I do that all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. crap, sometimes I build pedals while drinking scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Woe unto those customers. Yeah, right. You get that pedal. Right. If, if there's an electrical arc or something that blows up your house, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but I'm not doing those things to get intoxicated. Right. You know, I'm not trying to alter my mind uh, where I don't know. I've never smoked it, so I don't know how all of that works. But if someone is able to smoke a joint and somehow not get high out of their mind if they can basically have the same result as a beer or two maybe I don't well know. i i thought about this a lot and you know again i think there's like at least a threefold issue here there's the legal issue um which we're going to leave alone there is the health risk issue sure right so Anytime, you know, there's a health risk to alcohol. Sure. As much as there are medical benefits that I think are still affirmed in the medical community that, you know, moderate alcohol consumption, which we'd have to define moderate, but moderate alcohol consumption does have some health benefits. Yeah. Even with that, there are also health risks that we take Mm -hmm. when we drink alcohol in the same way there are health risks that we take when we eat a piece of cake. Um, you know, or when people smoke their, their health mm-hmm. risks there or eat a steak or eat a steak. And and we're not going to call all those things morally wrong because there are health risks involved. We all take risks with our health. Um, so setting the health part aside for a minute, you know, you're smoking something, um, when you smoke marijuana. So there's health risks there, but is it, is it, okay morally that's where everybody wants to come down and they and the comparison is drawn to to moderate alcohol consumption not having smoked marijuana and therefore knowing what happens with one joint um it's hard for me to say because mm-hmm. i think it is a, about an issue of drunkenness right. at that point and why does the bible prohibit drunkenness it's because it's wasteful it it you know it it um prohibits us from thinking clearly uh, from being able to worship God, you know, it, 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 you make wise choices. Your inhibitions get, you know, uh, numbed to the point that you're, you know, it's, it, I think we have to be careful. I mean, you, you've been to hymns and hops and you're a big fan of that mm-hmm. and I, I'm not opposed to it. Um, sure. we had the guy on here, I think that, you know, leads the thing. Yep. 
I'm not opposed to it. It's just that there is a point at which alcohol could derail worship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you put those two things together. I mean, we're, we, you know, the Bible speaks of being sober minded mm-hmm. when it comes to the things of God. Yep. So you got to be careful. And we're told to be always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Exactly. If you're passed out drunk, if you're Mm. If you're high out of your mind now, obviously like being high on weed and high on Coke and like, those are different. Like I get that. Um, you know, most of the time when you're high out of your mind, uh, you're not passed out. You're going to Taco Bell, (laughs) but, but there's still something to be said for that. That's right. And, and, you know, I just think people have to really be. I don't I don't know that you can even say that marijuana is necessarily a gateway drug in and of itself. Uh, I yeah, think I've never really bought that either. I think that's more cultural and really relates more to the legal issues that when it's illegal, it's kind of lumped in with all these other mm-hmm. illicit drugs. Um, and that culture almost leads people into, you know, worse things, I think. So I, I don't know that it's a gateway drug any more than alcohol is. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't know what it's like to smoke it. And I don't know what it does, what it would do to my brain, what it would do, you know, like, you know, can I have a beer and still worship God? Of course. Um, could I smoke weed and do that? Uh, or could, would my mind be all over the place? Until you try. (laughs) And I, and I, like I said, I'm not going to try, you know? I mean, there was a time in my life where if somebody would have handed me a joint, I probably would have smoked it. Mm -hmm. It's not that I, you know, had this, you know, I don't know, like just taboo sense about it all my life that if I'd have been in the right place at the right time, I would have tried it. But it just, I literally... I, I never was in the right place at the right time when sure. it comes to marijuana. Sure. I was for a lot of other things, but not that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's it, it, my, my question is always why. Yeah. Can that, you that give is, me is, a reason? A great question to ask. Can you give me a reason why that's a benefit to you? See, I think mm-hmm. the Bible, and I know that marijuana is not in the Bible. So we have to, you know, we have to acknowledge that there's not, I don't know that there's an equivalent to that in scripture. But the Bible does give me grounds for healthy, moderate alcohol consumption, so I can root my thinking about that in Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's just the fact, and I and 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 so on. Something as controversial, gray as alcohol or marijuana, I'm going to ask the question: Why? Yeah, and I'm going to ask that question. I'm, I want to. I'm going to want to answer that question biblically mm-hmm. on something like that. Okay, it's not. There are some things that are very black and white, mm-hmm. and then there's some things that are gray. And I would say this is a gray area where we could spend hours and hours debating uh, from all different standpoints um, the moral implications of smoking marijuana. And there are good arguments on both sides. Sure. The the cultural aspect is is an important thing that we need to reckon with too where you know we look at so much alcohol culture of you know you think specifically of something like a frat party mm-hmm. where where so much of our alcohol culture has been has revolved around abuse same thing with marijuana or whatever mm-hmm. uh where you can even look at and i'm gonna butcher the analogy um but i remember seeing years ago I think it was a National Geographic thing, something of that sort, where construction workers in some southeastern 
Southeast Asian country actually use meth to help them work better. Yeah. And, and it's and it's not quite so taboo. Of course they're not they're not using it in the quantity of, you know, staying up for five days being high, but they're basically using it how we would a cup of coffee to stay awake <laughs> through their yeah. shift. Yeah. So there's there's all kind there's so many angles to deal with where ultimately you kinda have to see what scripture says and then see what your conscience tells you in in some regard. Um don't get blitzed out of your mind. <laughs> Be well, prepared. Well, don't get drunk. I, I just I get concerned when Christians get very cavalier about this stuff. Mm. Like, I just don't think we should be. I mean, I do not, I am not someone who preaches or teaches. I just don't think you can get there biblically that alcohol in and of itself is sinful. You can't. You. It, it's, in fact, I think the Bible celebrates wine um, in, yeah, in exactly. some respects. But the Bible also warns about it. Mm-hmm. The Bible gives clear warnings about it, and there are obvious instances in Scripture where the danger, dangerous nature of alcohol comes to bear. Yep. You know, in the life of Noah, uh, David, I mean, others where you you can see clearly that this is not something that we need to play around with. You know, I, 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 I taught my son, my young son, how to shoot a gun this year for the first time. At a boy. And and the thing <laughs> the thing that I emphasize to him over and over and over and over again is that this is a good thing yep. that is very powerful and can be very dangerous. Yep. Like like think through that for a minute. It's and I've 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 had the same conversation with him about sex. Yeah. Sex is a really good thing, mm-hmm. son. But it's also very powerful. Yep. And it can be a very dangerous thing when it gets outside of the bounds of, of what God intended. Um, I feel like there are some boundaries for me with alcohol in Scripture mm-hmm. where I can, you know, I can say to a person who consumes alcohol in, in, in moderation, look, there there's some good biblical boundaries for you to live in there. Yep. Right. Um, I don't know if I can do that with weed because a I've never smoked it and and b there's there's just you know there's a stigma attached to it and there's there's a yeah. there 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 are other things that just raise questions in my mind but I think that Christians should not be cavalier about these things we should not be cavalier about our sexuality we should not be cavalier about alcohol consumption and we certainly should not be cavalier about consuming marijuana and just lumping it in uh, with other things in order to justify it we should our primary goal and objective is in life as believers is not to relax at the end of the day with a joint or a glass of wine or scotch mm-hmm. that's not our highest priority right? right our highest priority is the glory of god and it, it everything in my life should be serving that that purpose right you know and so that to me is the question why yep uh, so we'll get to Justin Ken- Tenkate's question about uh, catechisms later uh, because we're running a little short on time. So we'll do a quick one from Matthew Montgomery, which we thought was a pretty solid question of, is it irreverent to talk in the sanctuary before service? Should we have a quote unquote, let us take a moment to quiet our hearts a moment before service starts. So let's handle the first one 
uh, first. Is it irreverent to talk in the sanctuary before service? Uh, not necessarily. Right. That that's pretty much where I land too. It's it's it can be can and be it, and it's also context you, you know yeah. like here at res we don't have a foyer right so i think fellowship is a big part of a big it should be a big part uh an important part of the worship experience when believers gather mm-hmm. and if you have a a you know good sized foyer where people can gather and worship and then you want to set the sanctuary apart uh and encourage reflection and you know quietness as you come into the sanctuary intentive uh, attentiveness i'm i'm all for that we don't have that right. luxury because our sanctuary is the only place where people can say hey to one another yeah. and greet L- one another literally the only place that's right so now a foyer is something we want to add but we just don't have it yet and and so i would say not necessarily mm-hmm. but the the second part of the question is should there be a time for believers to quiet their hearts uh, as they enter worship. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it, it's, it's not either or it's both. And in my opinion, yeah. um, it, a, a time to just pause, get, you know, depend on the spirit to help me get focused um, on the Lord is, is absolutely appropriate. Right. And uh, there's a, if you want to go in the archives, we did an entire episode on preparing our minds beforehand mm-hmm. of you know it it shouldn't just be that you prepare your heart five seconds before right. <laughs> the service starts is that should really start saturday night mm-hmm. you know making sure your mind is right your clothes are out etc whatever you got to get done mm-hmm. um whether you're serving playing music or not mm-hmm. is this isn't just a show up for an hour and that's where your mind is on spiritual things and then later it's it's all cut off. It who, who asked this question? Uh, Matthew Montgomery. I, I think it's a great question, Matthew. In, in the lounge. I, I think that um, I'm longing for a resurgence among believers of the, the sense of importance, uh, the magnitude of our gathering. Yeah. Like just how essential that is and how important that is and our intentionality individually coming into a corporate gathering um really should be motivated by the sense of importance that we place on the fact that we're we're Jesus gathers us to himself and then he gathers us to his people also and mm-hmm. and that's a that's a big deal. And so I I I think Matthew's heart there is really good um and I would just say, Matthew, remember that fellowship's important um, as much as anything else. But at the same time, to pause, to quiet your heart, to have a seriousness about um, the church gathering for worship and prayer and time in the word is so, so important. So uh, recommended stuff this week. What do you got? You forgot, didn't you? I forgot. <laughs> well, edit, edit, John. Give me a second. I'll go first. Don't edit this. Um, l- let him stumble around and be shamed in front of the masses. Um, so I'll go first, I guess. Uh, I got, since we are in Romans 8 and we were talking about election, A.W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God. Mm. Um, specific, I, I listened to it on Audible, mm. which 
was read by an angry sounding British guy. So it just made it sound that much more ominous and big. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't hurt that I also listened to it on time and a half. Ah. <laughs> so it was quick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but a uh, fantastic book. And it's about exactly what the title is. It's about how God is sovereign over literally everything. Every, everything. Yep. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, and he was a pastor in Spartanburg for a couple of years. Was he years really? Years ago, yeah. Interesting. That was one of my Wikipedia rabbit holes I, I ran down one night. Um, I don't, this doesn't have anything to do <laughs> with what we talked about today. General edification is what we'll call it. I just, um, you know, talking about discipleship at the beginning, you know, um, I'm just going to recommend an author, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay. Um, some of his stuff on discipleship is fantastic. Um, and you know, I think his biography that was written by Eric Metaxas is also really good. Um, you know, when you kind of see his journey to faith and, um, and, and how he was reckoning with, um, you know, what was going on in Germany at the time with the rise of Hitler to power and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. you know, again, it doesn't have a ton to do with what we've talked about today, but, um, some of his stuff on discipleship and uh, the Christian community is really, really, really good. Anything you, I, I, I've, I've loved everything I've read from Bonhoeffer. So Sweet. I recommend him. Okay. So follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you leave a five-star review and share the episode around the, the posts that go out on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm, which helps us improve, which we haven't heard the audio, audio quality as of now, but we recorded this one on brand new microphones. Thanks to you. Uh, so the first five people who pledge to donate $10 a month for a year get a Piper Drive version 2. We have one more of those left. Uh, make sure you check out WestminsterEffects.com. I forgot to plan an outro again. So here's something. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
also going to mess with the frequency and turn it up just a tad. Let's see what we have. Uh, very nice, I love that. Turn the frequency up just a little bit more. I'm gonna drop the EQ down a little bit. I'm gonna toggle the EQ switch. Here's what we have. As you can tell, really knock some of that high end off. Let's flip it back up, put our EQ back kind of where we had it. I'm going to turn the frequency down. Here's what we have. housing but more than that it's a great pedal now honestly I've been using this pedal for some different bass gigs for a couple of months now and I'm absolutely blown away by it 